Warners. Welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy and Sales Gravy University. And this is another, what we used to call Rogue episode with myself, Gina Tremarco, and Rachel Pitts back on the show as the recovering co-host of this show. Welcome back. (laughs) Thanks again. (laughs) As we were, you know, we like to just start the show before the show starts. Yeah. You know what? We have all kinds of things going on that like get us elevated. And it's about getting some level of emotional control and not getting too triggered and finding all the modalities that help you. And uh, that's what we were talking about before we got started is you gave me some breathwork exercises to do yesterday, which were super helpful. And we we'll talk a little bit about that today. We won't talk about the whole show because I'm dying to talk about something else today besides breath work. And it's really Rachel's fault, not fault, but but she inspired this topic for today. But I want to tell you that exercise. So you gave me these two different breath work exercises and I did both of them. But the five in, five out seemed to be more effective. And I'm curious as to why. So before we get into the topic I want to talk about today, which is mastery based on the book Mastery. Tell tell me more about the two different exercises you gave me. I was asking I was because I was I, super hot yesterday, you know. Yeah. So the the first technique that I gave you was the box breathing technique, which is a pretty it's kind of a very talked about breathing method because it was Mm -hmm. made popular by some of the Navy SEAL guys. And it is a four count inhale, a four count hold, a four count exhale and a four count hold. And it tends to calm you down and get you really focused. But the breath holds add an added aspect that activates you a little bit more in terms of balance. Coherent breathing. I just did a I just did a reel on my new breath pack Instagram. So go follow me there. Um, talking about coherent breathing. So every time you inhale, you're activating your sympathetic nervous system. Every time you exhale, you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system. So each time you inhale, you're kind of fight or flight activation. Each time you exhale, you're calming down. So when you do a coherent breathing technique, which is a slow five count in, a slow five count out with no real pause, you're actually kind of balancing the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems. So you're going into what is called a coherent state of homeostasis. So when you're getting into, you're actually balancing out the nervous system by that slow five count breathing, you are getting all your systems of your body working together for a greater outcome in the harmonious systems working together. Interestingly enough, there's been studies that show that when we're in prayer or meditation, generally our breathing will slow to that type of five count in, five count out, five or six seconds of each inhale and exhale that also causes you to be in that coherent state, which is Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it the breathing part that makes us in that calm state that we feel when we're in prayer or meditation? Or is it the meditation or prayer that gets us there? So just some really interesting science around coherent breathing. Well, thank you for that. It was was super helpful. It's also helpful when I have to get my blood pressure taken. Mm. Just, Just a little pro tip for everybody. Actually, a nurse taught me that once because I get like white coat high blood pressure, right? The nervousness mm-hmm. of being in the doctor and it elevates my blood pressure. So I had a nurse actually like literally go, close your eyes. I want you to breathe in. I want you to breathe out. I want you to picture a place that you would you would love to be right now. <laughs> and literally my blood pressure dropped down. Like, it's, isn't that interesting? It's, it is so, that's what I find so interesting about breath work is it's like the the easiest, quickest way to regulate your nervous system when needed whether up or down regulate, and everybody has it. It is mastery of the breath is the key to self-mastery. It is the key that we all hold for self-awareness that leads to self-mastery. Oh, what a perfect, you are so good. 
You are so good. What a segue in that to talk about mastery today. Rachel, she is an overachiever, as many of you know, and I know. And she overachieves in reading books as well. And she is on book number 42. Or 43. I'm on 40, book number 42 this year. Now, For the I, year. Will also, I will also add that I haven't historically always read that many books. This was an intention that I set to read more books this year. So I would spend less time on social media. And also because of the transition that I've been going through in my family, my personal life and my career life, I, I made it an intention and it's really been interesting how many books, and this also includes audiobooks, which I listen to at least at one and a half speed, if not more. So so it's not just I'm sitting and reading books, but I am doing both. It's just an intention that I set. It's not how I always have been. And and the the amount of books that I've gone through so far is actually kind of nuts, right? <laughs> it's a little nuts in a good way. In a good way. It, it makes me feel like I need to step up my game. So you kept talking about mastery. So I started reading it. And I think I mentioned this. I get bored easily. So Rachel and I are part of a a, a women's mastermind group together. And I was talking about how I get like so bored with books that I, I don't finish them all. But this one has pulled me in and has kept me in. And this is Mastery by Robert Greene. And... And I'm not that far in even, but it it really got me thinking because it talks about the three different phases of mastery. I think it's three, right? It starts with apprenticeship and then moves from there. Okay, I'm I'm not totally read up on the book. So there was just enough enough stuff that I read that really got me intrigued about just the I know I know it takes ten thousand hours to master something, but some of the things that were kind of interesting to me and an aha, but not totally surprising is that we are going to be so much better at mastering the things that we truly have a love and passion for. And he he said something in the book about thinking back to a time when it when you were a child and what was that thing you wanted to do? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up kind of message? And so I, I, I posed that to this group that we belong to to see, I wanted to see what everybody had to say. And it was really fascinating to me because you and I both kind of had, and several of us actually, there were certain things that we had set our sights on as children that actually came to fruition. Of course, there were reiterations of what we have been doing through the years, but I had declared at age seven, and it's when I don't have a great, memory when it comes to childhood memories, but that memory sticks out to me of age seven declaring I'm going to be an actress when I was watching the dinosaur show and I wanted to be on the couch being interviewed. And I didn't really know what that meant. We kind of dissected that too. Like, what did that really mean when you declare what you want to be? Um, Because it's on the surface, but there was so much more that we unpacked from it. But the point is, is that throughout the years, in some way, shape or form, I have been in the light of presenting, performing, facilitating, interviewing people, being interviewed. And I've put in thousands and thousands and thousands of hours doing that to get to Mm -hmm. some level of mastery. So that's what triggered this idea to talk about this. So I'm going to shut up now and hand it over to you. Oh, don't shut up. It's I find it interesting that you have almost become the dinosaur in some ways. <laughs> right? Like you went from the couch to the interviewer seat. It really, truly is a, a fascinating book. And what Robert Greene does within the the book is he goes through some really easily relatable, I guess relatable in terms of you would know who these people are, like some big name yeah success people like Mozart and um, Leonardo da Vinci. And also I found some of the, some of the lesser known names. There's an autistic woman who he Mm, goes into in a great deal, which is very interesting to me lately, who overcomes the the autism to become a a huge well-known name in the space of animal care. And, and she couldn't even speak as a child. 
right. She couldn't speak. She went. And then interestingly enough, as as he goes through her journey, she becomes a speaker. And then at first she finds out she's a terrible public speaker because she's not engaging with the audience. And yet she learns from it. She actually, you know, when you have, so I'm pretty sure, Gina, you've had this before. You speak before an audience and you get some critiques and feedback. And then like, what do you, what happens to most people if what the feedback is, is that you suck? Like, like that hurts. But instead, this individual, can't remember her name right now. Last name is Temple. I know that. She takes these critiques and she starts to really study them and uses them to her advantage. Like constructive criticism is always meant to be constructive, but we don't always take it that way. We take it a lot of times as criticism. But in turn, she takes this criticism, constructive criticism and turns it around. And within a year or so, she becomes this really engaging speaker and people just don't even recognize her. So there's always a turnaround there. But a lot of what he goes through in this book is that it, number one, it takes time to master something. Okay, we all know that. Uh, But what really I found intriguing for my own journey, since I've been so many iterations, is that he talks about the fact that all of the iterations are okay. They're leading to you, leading you to what you are truly meant to master. And really good example would be someone like Leonardo da Vinci, who he does like so many different things. And And also, all of you guys out there listening, either you have been in or you are currently in a career situation where you're like, this is not it. This is so not it. This is not what I want to be doing. This is not, but it's a means to an end because you're making money at it and you're there for a reason. There's a lesson to be learned there and a skill that you will take with you when you eventually move on that maybe you can't see as a huge asset while you're in the thick of it and that you that you are learning for a reason. All of these stories that are told within this mastery book lead to these individuals excelling at their at their whatever their main focus is that they are known for, that they leave the legacy for. And it takes a lot of a lot of grit and a lot of focus to get through it. Like example, Charles Darwin, he does talk oh, a lot gosh, about Charles yeah, Darwin. Yeah, Charles yeah. Darwin spent eight years studying barnacles, eight years studying barnacles, which is po- quite possibly like one of the most boring things that one could do. And he needed those eight years of studying the barnacles so that he could really develop that his his concepts that led to probably one of the most important books ever written about the evolution of species. But it took eight years studying fucking barnacles. <laughs> well, it's it's fascinating. And that whole, you know, the the theme that comes up often is being committed to the boredom of what you're working on. And we often abandon things because we get bored with what we're doing because we're doing it over and over again and it's not as exciting and i don't know what year he wrote this book but if you just think about where we are today with this need to like be rewarded as quickly as possible right where we're, mm-hmm. technology has done that just that we need the quick hit as fast as possible and because we get bored so easily we're just constantly moving on to the next thing which makes it impossible to master anything. And that reminded me of a time when when I owned my improv theater and we were doing shows, which I did for 12 years. Carolina Improv is back as a school for classes for the general public in my community. But I do not want to be a theater owner again. But people have been begging, begging for the classes because it was kind of like cheap adult therapy for people to have a release. And what's interesting with that is that people take that class over and over again. Class is sold out and half of the people in the class have taken that class like many times. But they come back to master it by doing those skills over and over again. And when I had the theater and we were doing shows, sometimes the performers, I would have to coach them on this, 
they would get burnt out and bored with the audience because every night that tourist audience would come in and we're like, I need a suggestion of something you're going to do on vacation. And every night somebody said, go to the beach, hang gliding, right? It was drinking. It was always like the same top five suggestions. And sometimes we'd have like a lackluster show. And then at the end of the night, we would always what we call the debrief. We would debrief how the show went. Like, how do you think it went? What do you think you could have done better, right? We're talking about like a feedback loop. And sometimes they would say, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of that same suggestion. Like, can we just get away from those suggestions? And I'm like, it is the hundredth time you've heard it. It is the first time that audience member said it. So for the audience member, it is brand new. And the fact that you're doing it for a hundredth time gives you a hundredth version, a hundred in your reiteration of what you do with it. Like Mm -hmm. I had to really reframe their minds on that to kind of just like put a new um in them of like, what can you do differently the hundredth time? Or the 10,000th time. Here's a great quote, Bruce Lee quote. I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the boredom factor is definitely the thing that, that gets people and it's gotten me away from focusing on things so many times. That said, it's, that is what makes great players great. Takes, you know, take someone like Michael Jordan, you know, how many thousands of free throws did he practice? I don't even think he's known for the free throw, but how many, how many times have the masters practiced their skill to make it, to make it look effortless? And I think that's something that's missed when we look from the outside looking in at someone that we feel has mastered a skill that we wish we could master. You're not seeing all of the grind. You're not seeing the struggle and the frustration and the tedium and Mm -hmm. just all of the, there's most of the work in making anything look effortless is done in the dark behind closed doors. I was just going to say, as you were talking about that, that reminds me of how many times um, I've heard or I've heard someone say that's about someone else. Like, wow, there's such an overnight success. Yeah, like over 10,000 nights, right? So the success shows up and people are seeing it for the first time. And... They're, they're seeing it for the first time because they chose to not see it the last 9,999 times, right? Mm-hmm. So you think about this in any kind of repetition, marketing, sales sequences. We know it takes 20 to 50 touches sometimes for someone to see something and to take an action with it. So, so often, you know, you'll see people who are like, my gosh, they got so lucky. Look at where they are. They got so lucky. And it's like, now I've been, and I was thinking about this the other day with what I've, what I've done with improv. Like I've been doing this for decades, for decades. I have been working on this or even when I first opened the theater in 2009, I started the improv class in the 2008, opened the theater in 2009, you know, pretty quick, quick in. I heard those like little gossipy jabs of like, oh, look at her. Yeah, look at, look at like, boy, she got lucky. And I'm like, I put in a lot of time. You just weren't paying attention to the hard work I was putting in. Not that you needed to, but there's no such thing as luck with that. No, luck favors the the (laughs) well-rehearsed. That is good. Oh, I just made that one up, but I was just about to say a different, another quote. I'm quote happy today, apparently. So this is a quote that was I learned from Lanny Basham in his mental management courses, and that is that amateurs practice until they get it right. Professionals practice until they can't get it wrong. 
And that's, again, how people look really effortless in what they do. You know, you see a musician, you see a dancer, you see someone speaking on a stage, doing a keynote. You hear someone like Jeb getting on a sales call and closing a deal. It's all in the reps. They get it right because they can't get it wrong because they have seen every situation they've they've experienced every every objection you know they that they just fluently proceed and in mastery as you get it deeper into the book he goes into some of the brain science of how your neuropathways begin to rewire themselves once mm-hmm. you do, rep, do the repetitions and even more interestingly you know when so i'm sure the listeners have had this part this this experience, which one of the stories, I guess he uses Einstein and the, his theory of yeah. relativity mm-hmm. that comes with that you're like trying to figure out a problem. You're trying to figure out a solution. There's something you're working on. You're like working on it, working on it. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And then you're like, you know what? Whatever. I'm just going to give up and go to take a nap or whatever. And then wake up and go, oh, this is the answer. And that's that's how it happens. And yep. what it is, is, is you're just putting the the pathways together and, and putting the pieces together inside the incredible brain that we have evolved into over the years, that it will start to see answers, starts to see things, put things together. Well, it's it's interesting because I often talk about this with creativity Right. Because it's the same kind of thing with how the brain is working and rewiring it. We know that 95% of five year olds are creative geniuses at five based on studies NASA has done. Right. We know that. And so genetically, it's, it's in us and then it gets beaten out of us. So we've got that, that wiring inside of us. And sometimes in order for things to gel, or for creativity to bubble back up, right? There's a lot of things we can do to cultivate that creativity. One of those ways to cultivate that creativity is to do nothing. Meaning to give your brain an actual break because we are doing, 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 doing. And the brain being a muscle gets exhausted because you've like, you've worked it so hard that it, it at some point stops working. So when you have like that creative block, part of it is that, is that what did you do to give your, like do some kind of hit workout with your brain, right? Like go, 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 and then take a break. And I was talking about this in a training this past week with this group of really young in their 20 salespeople. I talk about this one a lot. I'm like, I used to listen to a ton of books in the car driving and part of my consumption is down because I'm not reading as much or listening as much in the car anymore because that's where I'm giving my brain a break. My brain is going to stay focused on driving instead of multitasking, of focus on driving, listening to a book. My brain is exhausted. And the other thing I've noticed is that when, because I also was like multitasking with, okay, on my drive for the next four hours, I will make these five sales calls. Every single time I do that, I actually get lost because I can't pay attention to the GPS and be on a phone call at the same time effectively, right? Because that's a multitasking disaster. I get lost. I get lost every single time. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot be on calls. I cannot read books the whole time. My brain is begging for a break. And when I sit in the silence on, on that drive, that's when things start to bubble up. Oh, you know what? That's where my grand plans come from. Oh, yeah. That's one reason that meditation is always recommended by the woo, the woo world. And it's, it's not really mastery. It's mastery of the mind, but the thing to remember when you resist meditation out there, everyone who's resisting meditation, like, I can't get my brain to shut off. That's the whole point, is you're trying to allow your brain the space to shut off for a little bit. And it's hard to do. And the fact that our brains are so active is just a really good indication 
of the fact that we need to to leave that space and that silence. And I I love a good silent drive too. I love a good long drive. I love to listen to books, but I also like the silence of it. Just did it on back on the way back from Disney. I had my daughter and a couple of their friends at Disney and it's about an eight hour drive back. And there was utter silence out of those kids after four days in the scorching furnace of Florida. So I listened to books for some time, but then like you just said, Gina, I got, my brain was like, I've had enough. And then I just had a lot of silence. And after like a couple hours of that, like all these ideas started popping up and I had to like send voice messages to a bunch of people like, Hey, I thought of this and I had thought of this and I thought of this. Because when you give your brain space, then you can come up with these great ideas. And it's just, it's it's hard to do, especially in the media-soaked environment that we operate in in this world. It's just so hard to find silence, even I, in your own household. <laughs> I forget where, it's been a busy week. I forget where this conversation came up. Oh, it came up with a coaching client. And I can't remember the context behind it, but we were talking about how, you know, you take in so much. Let me, let me, let me put all this stuff inside of me. I'm going to learn this. 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 And we're spending so much time in the knowledge acquisition versus the application. And I think she used the phrase, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm feeding my brain. And I'm like, Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. I said, have you ever overeaten and not felt good? And you can't get another morsel of food in your body. She's like, yeah. I'm like, that's what you're doing to your brain. You're feeding your brain to the point of like, it can't take in anymore. It's like, I'm full. And then it's getting sick or it's throwing up or it's not retaining. That's why I notice like when I'm in the car and if I'm listening to a book, when I start to fade out and drift off, I'm like, time to stop the book. Because that was my brain saying, I can't handle anymore. Had enough. Had enough. So there's something to be said about, he talks about concentrated focus. I, and I think, again, that goes hand in hand with everything we're saying, that concentrated focus that we all, many of us struggle with, especially those of us with shiny ob- object syndrome. It's hard to be in a concentrated focus again because that leads to boredom, but it's in the concentrated focus of what you're working on that's going to lead to mastering what you're doing. Mm. I want I want to circle back to what you started with the concept of what you loved to do when you were a child. Yes. Because in listening to the mastermind group that we talked with the other day and just thinking about how the world works in today's world is a lot of times you have like take my childhood love which was dance thank god my parents were supportive of me and i had a great career in dance but something like dance is dance art passion projects like that that people really love when they're children sometimes get brushed aside because the parents or just, you know, your own self as a developing human, you're like, well, that's not going to make me money and I'm not going to be able to pay my bills or have a good life if I pursue that particular thing that I love. And so I hear that a lot with people. Oh, I used to love to X blank. And and then they got a real job in accounting or they went to, you know, medical school like their parents wanted or they became this or that to make money. And left behind this important part of themselves that sometimes is a is a God-given talent that they truly are gifted at that leaves someone feeling this restlessness. And and Robert Greene mm-hmm. talks about this restlessness in mastery, that that you're you're in the world. And I've been there before when especially when I was working in real estate. I was very good at real estate. People thought I was like the best. And I had made lots of money. And I always felt just restless. I just knew it wasn't quite right. Now, that doesn't mean that I didn't learn some really wonderful, important skills in sales and and navigating human beings. (laughs) 
the negotiating and all the things that I learned, it just wasn't exactly the right thing that I was supposed to be doing. So I I want to encourage the listeners to just because you're not doing it now, that that childhood love, that that innate talent, that thing that you are so good at and are so good at, it's just lying dormant and it might circle back around in the strangest of forms. Like there's one story, there's a girl, she was a tennis player and she was an Asian tennis player and she loved that and she was really smart and she ended up going into engineering and Mm -hmm. there was this restlessness and she always, she wanted to, she had this idea of creating like a machine that she could play play tennis with. Mm -hmm. And which of course that was developed later. But it seemed like this crazy idea. And ultimately when she went to whatever university, she brought up this idea and the right person said, that's freaking brilliant. And then she ended up going into robotics and created mm-hmm. a whole new genre of robotics yeah. called, I believe, neuro-robotics or neuro-robotics, which, you know, developed artificial limbs that mm-hmm. functioned at a higher level. And so sometimes you can create this this whole new thing that you didn't know existed. There's another great, the, the Martha Graham stories really resonated yeah. with me as mm-hmm. a dancer, whereas she... Martha Graham knew that what she was doing wasn't, it just didn't feel right. And then of course there was like this huge big blow up that she learned Ruth St. Denis techniques. And then later on they were like, nope, you can't teach this anymore unless you pay us this huge fee. And she was like, well, fine, I guess I'll go develop my own thing. And she disrupted the whole system of all of dance and modern day dance would not be what it is without her Going through what she had to go through and going, you know what? I just don't like this commercial dance. She she didn't like all of the commercial stuff. She just quit doing that. And she starved a little bit while she worked on this new thing that revolutionized the entirety of the art form. Yeah, I love I love all of those stories because I, I, I have gotten through those stories in the book. And so, you know, I was talking about boredom a minute ago, but there now we need to talk about right? This restlessness and discomfort part of things because you need that. And so we also run from the discomfort of this doesn't feel comfortable. I'm not feeling fully aligned. I often don't feel aligned with things that I'm doing. And I just ask myself, I'm like, is this just really not a good fit for me, what I'm working on? Or am I just uncomfortable with it? And if so, why? And look at that. Because maybe what I'm working on doesn't make sense in the moment. But like you said, everything kind of layers on itself. And at this stage in my life and career of where I'm at, and I look at all the layers that have come together over time and some of the things that I'm working on right now, like it just makes sense. But it took decades for those layers to happen. And when you go back and and so this is for listeners, just think about, you know, for anyone in sales, think about it from this perspective, right? We're uncomfortable making phone calls, right? Because we don't want the rejection. Just do it. And the more you make them, the more comfortable you get at it. And again, that rewiring that you talked about earlier, I know I've talked about this a million times, that my aha of why I do not dread or worry about failure is because I have rewired my brain for it because of improv, because we have to get on stage and take a risk, because 50% of the time we fail, but we get we get laughter and applause. And so that rewired our, my brain, right? We're not always getting laughter and applause out in the world and what we're doing. I get that. But the fact that I have focused in a genre and a niche, remember niche because he talks a lot about that, which was a huge aha for me. Not an aha. It was just like a major validation how strongly he feels about about the niche. But the fact that I was pushed in a situation where failure was inevitable. So I had to be able to accept that and work with it. And now it's just second nature. I'm like, what can I fail at today? Because I know if I fail at something, something magical is going to 
come from it. So, so think about that in your profession, in your job, in whatever it is you're doing, that you do have to be uncomfortable. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you will become until you get bored, oh, bored again. And then you're going to do the next thing. And that's going to be uncomfortable. And he talks about that. And then you're going to be bored again. And then you got to like level it up again. And going back to childhood, you heard my story the other day. Because I don't know if you ever heard the story about the TV audition. I think I told that story, but I don't know if I'd ever told you that story, right? So I got that chance to audition for a TV show at age nine for, it was, it was a, it was a TV news show for kids. And I actually had to like write my own material and news stories and get on camera and was super stoked about it and got cast and the show got canceled and I was devastated. And I was des- I, I was determined to be a news anchor from a very young age. And my mom laughed at it. Every time I wanted to do that, she would not support it. So that's the other thing we got to keep in mind. Anytime you hear the naysayers telling you, you can't do that. You tell me I can't do something. I double down. I double down. I take that as a challenge. But so often we run from it because we're going to listen to those voices. Mm -hmm. Just keep doing it. Just keep swimming. I want to circle back to you. I keep circling back on you to what you said about the niche. Now, I remember the first time in sales life that I heard about finding your niche. And I, to be honest, I didn't really understand what the heck that meant. I was like, what the heck does that mean? So when you niche down, you want to get really super specific about your target. And then when I figured out what that meant, then I got really kind of scared that if I niche down too much, then I might lose part of my audience, right? I just had a talk with this about somebody, with somebody recently that I was like, you need to niche down to like so, so far down that you're actually talking to a specific person. That's where that whole avatar thing comes in. And the the pushback was, well, then I'm, I might lose this other part of the audience. Example being like you guys are a couple and you're doing a travel thing, a travel blog. So niche down to couples traveling on a shoestring budget to this certain area. And the pushback was like, but we really want to get into luxury one day. And I said, well, just keep in mind that you might be talking to people about a shoestring budget. And I'm here to tell you that the wealthy people who like to travel in luxury are going to watch travel on a shoestring budget because people that are wealthy want to know how to travel for cheap too. So you're not let you're not going to lose those people. They're going to be possibly even more interested because the rich people keep their money because they know how to travel cheap. Like people that, you know what I mean? People that live outside their budget, they're looking to travel in luxury when they probably can't afford it. The wealthy are like, how can I travel? How can I make it as cheap as possible to hold on to as much money as I can? You know, so you're when you niche down, point being, don't be afraid to niche down to something very specific because you're still going to attract others. Like I'm niching down to breathwork for high-performing athletes and mental management for high-performing Olympic-level athletes. And guess what? I'm not getting that only. I'm getting all kinds of just, quote, normal people who are interested in what I'm doing because I'm niching down so hard that they're like, "Ah, well, I'm not an athlete. Would you still work with me? And I'm like, of course I will. You know, if that if they're the right fit, but you're not niching down and excluding people, you're just niching down to create a clear message. Yes, yes, yes. So the niching really comes down to the marketing messaging, who you want to work with and this as well as the sales message. And when you niche, you are you are putting a stake in the ground that says, this is what I rock at. This is what I'm amazing at. That was a homework prompt I gave recently to some people. Uh, what are you amazing at? Similar to my love-hate relationship. Quick exercise for everybody. Take out a piece of paper, write a line down the middle. On one side, write love. On the other side, write hate. And take an inventory of all the things that you love to do and have a passion for. And obviously on the hate side, 
all the things that you hate doing and detest both personally and professionally. And when you take inventory of that, that's where you can start to niche and be like, okay, now look at, okay, these are things I love to do. And then I say, bring it down to three, bring it down to one. But also look on that list. What are you really good at on that list, right? That's where the magic happens. Let me take the things I'm really good at and that I really love and do one of those not a Zen diagram. I caught that accidentally once. A Venn diagram, you know, where the circles intersect and what's in the middle, right? Take that expertise. I heard this from my publisher. She cut me. She says, "What's your? What are your superpowers? Right? What are your superpowers?" And then focus on that. So let's just say in the sales realm, your superpower is talking to people and feeling people feeling comfortable. Someone gave me this feedback on a discovery call, that my approach in a discovery call is very much about making people comfortable. And this person also noted that throughout the call, I constantly physically leaned in. Now we're on Zoom, right? But I still physically lean in as if I'm there with you because I want you to feel it. And I know subliminally your brain is going to feel it, but no one had ever told me this before. So this person gave me this feedback of that is my style. Well, and I do constantly say that one of the things I'm good at is a discovery conversation. So in so think about yourselves. What is it that you feel like you're really good at? Continue to zone in on that, hone in on that. What aren't you good at? You still need to work on those things, but start to slowly niche. Because people want to go, go ahead. And also pay attention to, like Gina's saying, what other people are telling you you're yes. good at. Because sometimes you won't see it. Example yeah. being, I used to, I, I, I was a singer. I always thought that I could sing really well, but I didn't like my speaking voice very much. I thought I had this, this like, my voice is too low. I didn't, I don't know. So I went to a sales conference when I was in real estate. And the, one of the exercises was finding your true voice and different types of voices. Because sometimes when you're really excited and you're trying to sell something and, 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 and your voice is not your normal voice and people know it's not real. So, but some people have that higher pitched voice and a voice like mine with a low tone is actually not very common. And the, the exercise in the room was to find a high pitched voice that was their natural voice, a mid tone voice, and then a low voice. And I was the low tone voice that was selected to speak on the microphone. And when I spoke in my normal voice, I became the girl in the red dress with the sexy voice. And it was a big aha with me that my voice was so powerful when I spoke in my real voice and not in this made up voice like, hi, my name is Rachel. And the reason for my call is da 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 da. And now it's become this really great asset that continuously it comes back to me that that's the first thing people say when they experience the work that I'm doing right now. They're like, your voice. So remember that sometimes there's a really special sparkle about you that you may not really realize. And you might kind of be in self-denial because you fear your own success and that other people might be pointing out to you. So pay attention to that, too. So important. I, and I think I Marco Polo drew this last week or so about, about asking for compliments, right? I am a big advocate of asking for compliments. And I think it makes us uncomfortable because it feels, it, it feels egotistical, right? It feels egotistical to be like, tell me what I'm great at. And so you avoid it because you don't want to be that person. And what I came to yes and or accept is that I'm not doing it to feed my ego. Like, so stop telling yourself that story. I'm asking for the compliments or the feedback. I'm asking for the, what do I do well? Because I want to know what I do well, because I don't always see it. And the more feedback I get on these are the things you do well, then I can start to really master those and niche in. Now, the things I don't do well, can I get better at them? Yes. I'm not saying don't not get better at them, but they might not be my secret sauce. 
And so I need to be just good enough in those areas to be competent enough for whatever reasons, whatever those skills are. Like I suck at details. I don't plan on mastering that because I hate it. There are other people for details. Right. That's my point. I'm not saying that they're not important. It's just not where I want to put my energy. So I would rather continuously ask for feedback to, and 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 a kind of sort of monitor, am I still on track that I'm still good at those things? And so when I hear them over and over again, like, you're really good at that. I'm like, uh uh-uh. okay, now I know. And, and then the level- confidence builds from there. That's right. And speaking of just to, to play off what you just said with the confidence, another level of mastery. So what we teach in mental management is that you want to focus on what you did well, because when you focus on what you did well, you increase the probability of doing yes. what you did well again. Yes. Now, think about in terms of how normal people are. This is a really important concept, which let's use the game of golf, because in mental management, it's a really accessible thing. Whenever everybody, when you play around a golf and then guys get in the clubhouse and ladies get in the clubhouse and talk about, so how did it go? Oh, I suck today. Well, if you say that you suck today, you're increasing the probability that you will suck again. So Hello. that's another reason that it's super yeah. important to focus on what you did well and ask for, as Gina said, ask for commentary and compliments on what you did well so that you're you're improving your self-image and you're increasing the probability of doing well at that skill again, rather than focusing on what went wrong. And I think that's just, it's part of the normal human brain that we focus on what went wrong and we're conditioned in school. When you get your paper back, your test, it's all the things that you did wrong are circled in red, right? And so you're, if you get a 98, you're focused on the two points that you got wrong rather than all the things you did well. And it's a shift in awareness of, of always focusing on what you did well. And when you study Olympic athletes and really true high achievers, they're very positive people because they're always focused on what they did well because they want to do more of that. So when you have a sales call that doesn't go well, quickly look at what possibly you could do better. Like shift immediately from, oh, that sucked to, okay, so I really could have done this part of that transaction better and then move on and focus on what you did do well so that you increase the probability of doing well on the next call. Well, you know, I I like that. And I would I would I would take it up a notch a little bit as a little exercise for everybody as we get ready to wrap up. Look at like when you've done something and you get you finish that task and actually go straight to, all right, what did I do awesome just now? And start with the positive of like, here's what I did really, 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 really well. Start with the positive. Track that inventory, put it on the list, acknowledge it, high five yourself. And then move into, okay, that was good. What could I do a little bit differently next time? so that I can actually up-level that. What's going to naturally happen with your brain, right? Because we're wired for negativity bias. Jeb talks about this all the time. We're wired for it. Our brain goes there fast. But if we force our brain into the positive, our brain will find its way to the negative. Our brain will find its way to, you could have done this better. But I think it's healthier to start with the positive, right? We talk about this, Jeb talks about this too in Discovery, like, when we're asking discovery questions, like when someone's talking about we're looking at, you know, a number of vendors and I always say, oh, you know, who are you looking at? Who else are you talking to? And then I'll say, what do you love about them? Instead of going to the trying to dig in with negatives or saying how we're so much better, I am leading them to tell me what they love about them because number one, I can put two and two together. When you tell me what you love, then I know what you don't love. Or, and or, you may then, after talking about what you love, start moving into what, you know, but what I don't like about them, right? Again, we're sort of wired to go to that place. It's just kind of the same thing from a sales perspective. All right. I know we're out of time. I got to get on a coaching call. You got things to do. I do. If people want to do some amazing breath work with you, 
what what's going on? What's going on in the next? This is right now. This episode is today is like August something. The first Thursday in August. What do you got going on that maybe somebody can jump in on? My next group breathwork journey that I'm offering will be August 27th. And you can find out all about that either by following my current Ultra Fit Lifestyle Instagram and Facebook accounts, or you can seek out Breath Pack, which is the new account. And you can also email me at breathpack at gmail.com, spelled breath, B R E A T H P A K. Become part of the pack. And definitely want to check out the podcast that is coming up. Inspired by the podcast with Gina that I that I left, here I am <laughs> now with the brilliant new idea of starting a new podcast. But that way I can also give you guys some some quick tips and breathwork practices through that modality that will be helpful for upregulating, downregulating, or balancing you as needed. I love it. I love that you are launching a podcast. And let's give a shout out and kudos to the producer of this show, Nian, because Nian... Mian gets like a free sales MBA program from not just producing this show, but he produces several shows now in the sales space and is becoming quite popular. I'm pimping him out a little bit and he's producing all these other shows, but he's been really good about like going after people and saying, you need a podcast, which is what he did to you. He did. And his sales pitch was solid. I was I was aware of what he was doing. And I'm like, I see what you're doing there. And it was solid. So yeah. he's he's also has to listen to all these sales podcasts. So he's learning. That's what I that mean. Way. He's learned so he's learned so much. And every now and then I'll give him a little side coaching. But I'm excited that you've got that podcast coming. So as always, thank you for being here, my friend. It's always fun to just babble with you. Babble and breathe. Okay, Warners, we're wrapping up this episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy and Sales Gravy University. Speaking of mastery, you could be mastering your sales skills at salesgravy.university. There is no better place to do that. We've got nearly 300 courses between our live courses, our on-demand courses. We have courses that are, are brought to us by all kinds of sales thought leaders outside of our organization, not just within. So that is like the best deal around. I don't think there's a better deal than our deal under $100 a month to get all that education. So go check that out, salesgravy.university. And uh, more about this show, you can go to womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com, salesgravy.com, and there's all the socials. So you can find that on all of the websites. And thanks again to Sales Gravy for sponsoring the show. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube.